following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Good morning, Harvest. How are we doing today? All right, why don't you uh, get your Bibles open to James chapter 1. And as you're doing that, I'm going to have my, uh, my friend Jordan come up here right now. Now, how many of you guys are excited about spring? You know it's never coming, right? It's never going to happen. But Jordan's ready, and uh, he is ready for spring. He is ready for uh, the golf course here. And I want you to, uh, to notice a couple of things, all right? I want, to, I want you to notice some things about his getup. First of all, he's got the hat, right? The hat's going to block him from uh, the elements. He's got the sunglasses on the back of his hat flipped upside down, which screams golf. And uh, he's got the, the Under Armour shirt and the pants. This will uh, keep him cool when it gets hot. He's got the glove on as well for, uh, for grip with his club. But I want you, what I want you to pay special attention to are his shoes. Now, why? I mean, shoes, first of all, they're the most important part of what a golfer would wear when he plays. Now, why is that the case? Anyone help me out with that? Someone said it. Someone said stability, right? A go- uh, uh, shoes help a golfer stay stable when he swings. You think about all the different, different kinds of swings that he's going to have to make. You know, a golfer might get up in the morning early and go play while there's dew on the ground, so it's wet. Or he gets caught out in rain, right? And it's soaking wet, and you can slip and fall down. You think about uh, playing in the sand, or on a, on a side hill, right? I've, I've played golf with Jordan before. He finds himself in bad lies all the time. <laughs> all right? He's going he's gonna to need that absolutely, okay? Spikes allow a golfer to stand firm. All right? Now, Jordan, before you, uh, you uh, head back down to your seat, why don't you go ahead and take a good rip for us? I know you're dying to. This is the biggest gallery you're ever going to have. All right? Be quiet, please. This is golf. All right? There it is. There it is. I would have taken that right in the teeth. Hey, as, as Jordan sits down, let's give him a little golf clap. I think that's appropriate. Just gentle, nice little golf clap for Jordan. Come on, give it up for him. All right, give him a big one. All right, the whole point of that is that standing firm isn't just for golfers. Right? Standing firm is also for, for Christ followers, for those who know Jesus Christ as, as Savior. And specifically, we need to be able to do that during trials, when when God brings difficult circumstances in our lives uh, to test us. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you and I can slip and stumble and even fall down when the heat gets turned up in our lives, right? right? It gets tough. It gets really hard. And when, when difficulty or even, even tragedy strikes, it's like there's a, a spotlight that's shone on us that, that highlights just how weak and how fragile we really are, right? And the pressure, the temptation in those moments is always going to be to crumble and fall. Right, to, just, to just wilt underneath the weight. And, and I know that, that, that some of you are feeling that here this morning. And I know that because I've talked with some of you recently. You know, and, and life is just, it's brutal right now. Right? It's hard. It, it, it's difficult. And you're just, the temptation is to quit. It's to pack it all in. And I don't know if this whole God thing is real. And, and, and I'm just going to maybe go do my own thing. Because, hey, this thing doesn't seem to be working out. And it's, it's, it's just hard. Right? And others of us, maybe, maybe life's not so hard right now. Maybe it's good, and we want to praise God for that because he brings those seasons into our lives as well. And so this morning, we want um, this message to really be something that you can file away and help prepare your heart for the next time that life gets difficult. All right? And this passage this morning shows us how to be strong in those moments. 
in those difficult moments. And so we've got this uh, up on the screen here. This is where we're going to be going here this morning. I will stand firm when I'm under trial, anticipating the reward that comes later, recognizing that God isn't just messing with me, but I'm the one who's messed up, and remembering God's constant generosity. All right, let's pray. God, we come before you right now as people who desperately need you. God, and we have just sung songs um, exalting how powerful and how great you really are. And Lord, I pray that that would become real life for us as a church here, Lord, that we would be able to take that knowledge and that it would impact the way we think, the way we act, the way we respond to life circumstances. God, I pray specifically for those who are, who are under the gun, who are just, who are feeling it's hard. Or would you reach into their minds, into their hearts? Would you give them the thing they need this morning? Lord, I pray that for the rest of us that are maybe in good times, Lord, I pray that we would, we would not take those for granted, that we would not uh, tend to think that it's because we're so great and we've made a whole bunch of right decisions and I'm the man and all of that, God, but that we would recognize that they're a blessing and a gift from you. God, I pray that this morning it would in fact prepare us for what's coming around the corner. We've already looked in James and how there's going to be trials of various kinds. That's multiple trials, Lord. So God, continue to instruct us, continue to build us up, all for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to read our passage here this morning. Uh, In James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 12 and read down through uh, verse 18. So read along with me. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right, well, we're going to jump right into it here. Here's the first thing in your notes. Uh, I will stand firm when I'm under trial, anticipating the reward that comes later. All right, now you might notice here as we get into verse 12 and as we read this, that uh, a lot of the language that we're looking at here Uh, mirrors what we've already studied in the book of James, which Todd covered just a couple of weeks ago, all right? And and there James talked about how trials are designed uh, to make us spiritually steadfast, right? To make us us strong. They they toughen us up. They they make us resolute and unwavering in our commitment to Christ, right? That's why trials are so important, and we don't want to waste them. And so he kind of picks that idea up again here in verse 12. Read along with me. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. All right, so when you, when you remain under your trial or under the test that God has brought you, it means, obviously, that you don't try to get out from underneath it. Right? You, don't try and, you don't try and run away from your difficulty. Now, it's, uh, it's probably true that some trials are easier to get away from than others. Like maybe for you, your trial is in the workplace and, and work's not going very well and this is bad. And, you know, if you really wanted to, you could probably just, you know, quit that job. Maybe, maybe that, that would be no problem. I can go find another job like this. I know someone will be hiring, right? You could, you could leave that trial pretty quick. Okay, but other times, 
The pain is so severe, right? It's just, it's in your face constantly. You you, you can't get away from the pain, even if you wanted to. Okay, so perhaps you can't exactly uh, run away from your trial, but but are there other ways that you try and cope? Right, like for you, um, maybe, for example, do you try to, and ignore the, the, the problems in your marriage or in your family by doing things like watching copious amounts of TV, right? And just kind of numbing the pain with that. Or for you, maybe it's, a, it's some kind of a substance abuse and it's, it's alcohol or prescription meds or, or maybe it's something like weed, right? And that's like your dirty little secret, right? It's just, it's anything to numb the pain. And maybe it's, it's not something like that. Maybe it's, you know, I, uh, I go shopping, right? And I just buy stuff because I just want to fill myself with new things, because that gets me kind of excited, and, I'm, I'm, and, I, and I have this thing to look forward to, and I can kind of forget about uh, the pain and the trial uh, that I'm in. Right? Those are all different ways that we try to get out from underneath our trial. Right? We may not physically run away, but we're getting away from it nonetheless. Right? We distract ourselves. But, but as Christ followers, we know this, that, that's not the way we're supposed to handle ourselves. Right? Not at all. Right? We stay in it. I'm, I'm going to commit to this. You know, as hard as it is, God, you do whatever it takes, whatever needs be in my heart, in my life, so that I change, so that I'm conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ, your son. Right? It means that you've got your, your spiritual spikes on, so to speak. Right? I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to waver. And it says here that when we do that, okay, when we do that, there's, there's a benefit that we receive. What does it say? It says we're, we're blessed. Right? We're blessed. Now that word blessed, it goes, it goes so far beyond mere happiness. Okay? W- way beyond like, I just want a carefree life and I'm going to be happy. Right? That word blessed signifies a, a deep and abiding joy. Right? That, that, that transcends the problem that I'm dealing with right now. Right, that's what it says that we're going to have. What else does it say? Well, it says, it says that when you stood the test, you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, when it, when it says crown there, uh, don't be thinking like jewels and rubies kind of crowns. So sorry, ladies, if you like jewelry. That's, that's not really the kind of crown it's talking about here. Right? Rather, it's talking about, about a wreath that, a, that an athlete or a runner would have, would have got, uh, received when he won a race. It's a, it's a symbol of, of persevering triumph. That's the crown. It says there it's the crown of, of what? Of life. Of, of eternal life it's talking about there. It's, it's pointing to our future reward. It's pointing towards, towards heaven. Right? That's what we're going to get. That's what's waiting for us. You know, we've got to be really careful, though, how we, how we think about this. Because it's not saying, um, hey, uh, stand strong during your trial, stand firm, and if you do, then you'll receive heaven someday. Right? It can't be saying that. Right? It can kind of look like it at first glance, but, but eternal life isn't something that we earn. Right? We know that. It, it's something, it's a gift, right? It's something that we, we graciously receive from our Father. So when you, when you remain under, when you persevere, when you stand firm under your trial, what you're doing is proving that Christ has already saved you, right? And that heaven is yours. It awaits you someday, right? That's what perseverance is all about. 
See, I love it because God, God doesn't make us just like jump through a bunch of hoops in life. And if we do, and we do a pretty good job of that, he gets to decide at the end whether or not we've been good enough to make it into heaven. Right? That's not Christianity. Right? That's, that's every other religion in a nutshell. Right? Every other religion on some level is works-based. Right? I got to do something to, to appease the deity that I subscribe to. I've got to impress them. I've got to be moral enough. I've got to be well-behaved. And then I will get whatever version of, of heaven my religion says exists. Right? But that's not the Bible. That's not our God. That's not Christianity. And praise him for that. Right? God guarantees us heaven from the start. Right? From the very beginning. Notice here on the passage how it, it, just, it just front loads the, 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 the blessing, the promise of blessing and reward. Right? It front loads it. It doesn't say, hey, do all these things first and then, and then understand that there's reward at the end. Now, it wouldn't be wrong to say that. There's plenty of passages in Scripture that, that covers it in that order, and that's fine. But it's kind of cool to see here how he reverses it, right? It's like, here's the reward that you have to look forward to. Now, now do these things. Live this way in light of that. Right? He's like, it's awesome. I'm going to tell you all about that now to encourage you and to lift you up and, 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 to, and to bring you some type of, of positive thinking in, in all of it because there's some good stuff coming your way. Listen, the, the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior because you've, you've confessed your need for him, you've repented of your sin, okay, the moment that he becomes your Savior, heaven is yours. Right? It's yours. It says that he, he promises it, right? He promises it to those who love him. It's just waiting for you to receive when this life's over. You've been declared righteous. The moment you become a Christian, you get saved. God sees you as though he sees his son, Jesus, who is perfect. Right? You've been declared righteous. You can't, you can't get cut from the team. Right? You've already made it. You're on the first line. Right? It's a pretty amazing thing. Right? Whatever... Whatever trial you have, if you're a Christ follower, you will persevere through it because of Christ in you, right? And he's, he's promised us a, a perfect ending, and he's, and he's leading us to it, right? He's, he's there with you right now in the crux, in the difficulty. And again, he promises you a perfect end. You have that to look forward to. Do you, do you look forward to that? I think that's a reasonable question to ask at this point, right? Do you, do you anticipate the reward that's coming? If, if you struggle to keep eternity in, in the front of your mind, you really just need to work at it until it becomes kind of automatic, right? Until, until you get it, right? Until it becomes a, a fabric of, of, the, of your way of thinking, right? It's called having an eternal uh, perspective. And it's really all about feeding your soul the promise of heaven, right? Like it's coming, Right? Just, i got to withstand this pressure. Right? I'm going to make it because Christ has taken me there. Right? And you, I mean, you can do that. Right? You can feed your soul the promise of heaven. Every time you read scripture, every time you worship, we've just done tons of that. Right? You're, you're reminding yourself that, that a perfect ending is awaiting you. Okay? Even, the, even during the awful, terrible trials that you're, that you're experiencing. Right? You have that promise, and it's waiting. First Peter 1 verse 4 says that God's got an inheritance that's imperishable, 
that's undefiled, that's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. I mean, there's just nothing better to look forward to than that. Right? There really isn't. All right, I will stand firm when I'm under trial. Here's the second thing, recognizing that God isn't just messing with me. Recognizing that God isn't just messing with me. Take a look at verse 13 now, okay? Verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God uh, cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts who? No one. No one. Now, it's pretty common for, for people when, um, when life gets difficult to look for someone or something else to blame. Right? That's kind of in our nature. Right? Like someone else's fault or it's because of that thing that happened to me. Um, that's why I'm going through something difficult. Well, verse 13 and all the way to 15, we'll cover that a bit later. It's so good because it really helps us sort out our theology of, of all of this. Right? How, how, we, how we believe, what we believe is true about all of it, which is so, so crucial. And then, of course, it gives us an, a good idea of how to respond to the trials and temptations. Okay, first of all, you need to know this. Trials and temptations, uh, they're two different things. Okay, they're two different things. Interestingly enough, though, uh, in the Greek, they're actually the same word. Very similar word. And uh, they're just used differently depending on the context. Okay, now a trial or a test, okay, we use those things uh, interchangeably there. Um, we covered those in verse 12. It's, it's a hardship that's brought on by the Lord. Right, a hardship that's brought on by the Lord. And trials are always meant to be endured. We need to endure a trial. And I need to stand firm when it hits me. And then in, in verse 13, the word used there is, is tempted. Right, the word is tempted, which means a direct enticement to sin. Direct enticement to sin. Now, temptations, they're to be resisted. They're to be resisted. We refuse to give in to them. Okay, so a, a simple way of kind of thinking about this is that we persist through trials and we combat temptation. That's the way that we look at that. Now, um, when we go through, through tough times, we will be tempted to give in to sin along the way. Right? It's just the way it's going to go. You're going to be tempted all, uh, every step of the way. Now, a huge question that we need to ask is, who's to blame for the temptation? Right? Who's to blame for that? Well, what's the verse say? Verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, now my job as the, uh, as the preacher with a verse like that uh, is pretty simple. Right? Not a whole lot to explain here. Um, it's pretty clear on its own. Okay? We're, we are in no way correct or even close to correct if we suggest that God is in any way responsible for our temptation or our sin. Okay, why? Because he's, he's untemptable. Right? He cannot be tempted. And, and he himself tempts no one, the text says. It's, it's laid out there uh, clear as day. Now you might be thinking, but, but Mike, I, you know, I, I thought God was sovereign. And I thought he was in control of everything. And, and I thought that he orchestrated my life in such a way that, that trials and temptations would, would come into my life. And I've got to deal with those. What about that? All right, well, let's call that, um, let's call that objection number one. Objection number one. All right, well, how do we handle that? You ever thought that before? Well, God's sovereign, so maybe this is all him. Well, here's a couple questions for you. Is it true that God is sovereign over everything? Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Check. Is it, is it also true that God orchestrates every trial that comes into our life? Yes, it is. Right? And he does it uh, to mature us, right? To make us stand firm. 
Now, is it also true that he tempts us? No. Or, or does he? Right, time for objection number two. You ready for this one? Okay, well, Mike, what about, what about in, the, in the Lord's Prayer where, where Jesus says that, that we should pray to God and ask him that he would not lead us into temptation, right? Aha! Right, I knew it. It is his fault. Right, he does tempt us. Right, we can think that too. And kudos to you if you thought of that verse. Right, and again, at first glance, that verse does seem to be a bit of a problem. Right, what, what do we do with this? Kind of feels like, like God's saying, you know, you, you just better pray that God doesn't tempt you because he is just itching to drop the hammer on you and watch you squirm. Right, that, that's kind of how we can handle that sometimes. We think about it, admit it. Okay, so again, how do we think rightly about this kind of thing? How do we think rightly? It's so important that we do. Okay, well, John MacArthur can help us out with this. We've got a quote here for you, and uh, it's up on the screen. This is what he says. He says, the idea here is that we should ask our Heavenly Father not to lead us into a testing of our faith that because of our immaturity and weakness could become unbearable temptation to evil. Right, that's helpful. In other words, God will lead us into trial. He'll do that every time. But the temptations that we face while under our trial, they're not from him. They they originate with us because there is something incredibly wrong with us in our hearts, inside. And we're going to get to more of that later. But the bottom line, God's not just messing with you. All right? He he isn't. He, He doesn't promise you heaven one second and then cause your sin the next. I remember when I was in uh, when I was in junior high, I was uh, I was terrified of girls. Okay, true story. And you might be like, "Well, why?" Well, because um, they were evil, <laughs> right? They they were. And I mean, you might know the kind, right? You know, one second they're all nice and you know innocent and friendly and hey, Mike, you know that kind of thing, and then and then they turn on you, right? Like a bunch of vipers. And they're trying to reduce your life to, a, to like a pile of rubble, right? Horrible creatures, junior high girls, right? Not ours, though. Not in our church, right? You guys are great. Just kidding. Just kidding. You're loved, okay? Okay, but thank the Lord he's not like that. He doesn't toy with us. He's not, he's not sitting up there in heaven, you know, figuring out, coming up with with sick new ways how to, how to make your life hard and to, and to make you mess up. If he was like that, we would only ever live in constant fear and dread. Right? We'd never be able to trust him. He wouldn't be good. We'd certainly never be able to love him. Again, our God, he's not like that. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't dangle the carrot of sin in front of your eyes, hoping that you're going to grab hold of it. That's not what he does. And so we need to be really careful as we think about who to lay the blame on for our temptations and sin. We don't want to do that because God, we don't want to blame God because it says that he will never do it. He never could. He never will. And when we blame God for our sin, and we've all done it, let's be honest. Okay, quit the act. We've done it. When we blame God for our sin, what it really reveals is just our immaturity. Right? We just haven't really grown enough. It means we haven't really grasped the heart of our God. We, we haven't really absorbed that he, he loves us passionately. He doesn't want us to, to play with sin. He hates sin, right? He's holy. He's a good God. 
So getting free from, from blaming God for our temptations begins when you start to agree with what he says about it. Right? Start there. And he tells us clearly, hey, listen, temptation doesn't come from me. That's what he says. God's heart for us uh, when, we're tempt, uh, when we're tempted is, is explained pretty nicely here in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. You can write that down if you want. It says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hey, listen, when you're, when you're in the thick of trials and, and you're tempted to blame God for that, bank on the fact that he's not messing with you. He's not. He never will. In fact, he, he's actually fighting for you and he's, he's plotting your course away from that temptation. He's trying to throw you a lifeline, get you out of harm's way. All right, so hang in there. Hang in there. It's coming. Okay, so I can't blame God for my sin. Then whose fault is it? Right, well, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but, but here's the answer. It's our third thing. Right, I'm the one who's messed up. Right, I'm the one who's messed up. Just take a look at verse 14. It says, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Now, what I think we see here in this verse, in these verses here, is uh, really a blueprint for how temptation works. Right? A blueprint for how temptation works. Kind of a map that shows you how it all happens. And so we're going to get this up on the screen, and you can write this down if you want to. These are basically four ways, the four steps of how temptation works. All right, the first one, we have desires within we have desires within. That's what verse 14 says. It says, by his own desire. Right? By his own desire. That word desire there uh, means a strong or a deep longing. And it says that it's our own. Right? It's our own, which means that we're the ones responsible for it. Right? It also says that it's a, it's a problem within each person. It's a problem within each person. So, so no one's immune to this. Right? You're not sitting next to some kind of like Jedi Christian beside you who, who doesn't get tempted by sin. Right? It doesn't work that way. Every single person in all eternity, right, we have these desires. Now, desire in and of itself, is that a bad thing? No. No, for example, all right, we'll use um, sexual desire as an example. Is it wrong on a basic level to desire the opposite sex. No, right? It's not wrong, right? It's good. God created that as good and as, and as holy, right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. We were created with those desires to have. What we need to know, though, is that when sin entered the world, it took all of those desires and warped them, right? It, it, it wrecked them. And so now our, our sexual desires, I mean, they're all over the place. Just take a look at the world around us. Right? It's, it's a mess out there. Right? It's a mess inside here, too. Right? It's because, of, it's because of sin. Sexual desires go way beyond what God's intended use for them were. Okay, with any temptation, it, it starts with the fact that the desires inside our hearts are, are bent. Right? They're, they're twisted out of shape. Okay? So that's the first step. We have desires within. Second one, we are lured and enticed. We're lured and enticed. Verse 14 again. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Right? Pretty clear. Those words there, 
uh, mean dragged away. Dragged away. So it uses like a, like a hunting or, and, a, and a fishing metaphor here. And, and that's exactly what happens to us when we're tempted. Right? It really does. The bait's it's, it's too attractive to resist. And, and it's like... It's like we're intoxicated by it and by the aroma and, you know, and I can't think of anything else. And, and it's just the euphoria and the excitement of it all. I'm blinded to what the right decision would be here. Right? I'm lured and enticed. We don't think straight. And so we just, we succumb to it. Like a fish tracking a worm on a hook. Right? It's not thinking about anything else. It wants that worm. It's going for it. Because that's the second step. Third one. We commit the sin. We, do, we commit the sin. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Okay, so here James, he uses the, um, the process of childbirth to illustrate his point. Right? Desire is uh, essentially a mother who gives birth to her child, which is sin. And uh, so this is the, the point where we actually give in to the temptation and commit the act. Right? And it's not by accident. We decide to. We, it's a choice. Right? And, and, and we do it. It's a, it's, a, it's a willful decision to act on the desire. It's not God, God's fault. Right? It's not your, your wife's fault because she puts so much pressure on you. Right? It's, not, it's not anyone else's fault. It's not, your, it's not your parents' fault because you had such a terrible upbringing. Get over that. Right? It's your own fault. It's completely yours. You can't hang that around anyone else's neck. And here's the last thing. This is how temptation works. We die as a result. We die as a result. Verse 15 says, Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Well, what kind of death is he talking about there? Is he talking about uh, physical death? Is he talking about spiritual death? Well, ultimately, he's talking about both. Right? He's talking about both. In Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 19, right after Adam and Eve had sinned, God's pronouncing judgment on them. You remember that? And what does he say? He says, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Right? It shows us there that our sin brings forth physical death. Right? It's physical. Then if you were to, to look at Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 1 to 5, it shows us there uh, that we're dead in our trespasses, it says, but that God made us alive with Christ. Right? It's talking about, it shows us that, that our death is also spiritual. And that Christ makes us alive spiritually. Right? But, but when we die spiritually, it means that we're, we're cut off from the Lord. Right? We're not in any relationship with him. We're born that way. Right? No chance of relationship. Not on our own anyways. We're, we're helpless to fix the problem. We need, we need God's grace. We need a rescue effort. And that's what the cross was. What does all this tell you? Probably to stay away from temptation right? Stay away from sin. Things can grow from bad to worse in a hurry with that stuff, right? Don't play with it. Don't dabble with it. Don't don't be the guy who's like, yeah, I can control this. No, you can't. You're weak. You're fragile. You're going to make a mess of your life and likely others, people around you, right? It also shows us that that our sin is no one's fault but our own, right? We got to own that. We're, We're messed up people inside, you ever, you ever run around the house uh, desperately looking for your keys or your phone or something like that? Right? We all have. And, and, and how do you get it? At some point, you probably get to the point where you're like, you know, 
someone, someone took them, right? And what happened? And pretty soon, like, if you're like me, you're, like, barking at the kids or, you know, at your spouse, whatever, right? But in my experience, listen, in my experience, it's never anyone else's fault. Never. It's always my fault, right? The keys are usually, like, in my pocket or the phone's plugged in right where I left it, right? And I was, I was getting all upset about nothing, right? But this is how we get my fault. I'm the problem. Now, how does admitting that, that we're messed up people, how, how, does, how does admitting that help us stand firm in a trial? Like, how, how do we put that together? Right? It'd be easy to think, well, to stand firm, I gotta like, I gotta be tough, right? I gotta puff my chest out a little bit. I gotta be strong. No, when you admit your weakness, it shows humility. It shows humility, and that's really the big key here. Right? When you're humble, when you're in that place where you're just honest about where you're at, that's a perfect place for you to be in a trial. Right? James says a little bit later in, in chapter 4, Pastor Todd will get into it, says that God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble, and that's exactly what we need copious amounts of when we're being tested. Right, we need grace. When we're, when we're humble and, and we're needy, it develops a hunger in us for the Lord, doesn't it? A hunger that we would never have if we were still prideful, if we were still arrogant, if we were still trying to do it on our own. Right, we need the Lord. And that's why humility is so great. It's another thing that's affected. Well, our prayer lives, our prayer lives tend to take off when we're humble and when we're needy. Why? Well, because we know we need the Lord, and so we ask him for help. Right? So important. We have no other choice, really, when you think about it, other than to cling to the Lord when we admit our weaknesses in a trial. And eventually, listen, eventually that becomes the exact thing we want to do. Right? I want to do that. I want to be humble. As God changes me and my, my heart develops and matures and my walk with him gets taken to, to new heights, God, I want to be humble. I don't want pride ruling. It just makes things worse. God, humble me. Humble yourself as well. Right, so I will stand firm when I'm under trial, anticipating the reward that comes later, recognizing that God isn't just messing with me, but I'm the one who's messed up. And here's the last thing, remembering God's constant generosity. God's constant generosity. Take a look at verse 16, okay? Verse 16 just says, do not be deceived do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I think what you see here is the, the heart of James for his people. He's like, don't be fooled. He's like, God's not simply stringing you along here. It's not the way it works. In fact, it's quite, it's quite the opposite. Right? He's nothing but incredibly generous towards you and towards us. And we see it here in, in verse 17. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Listen, everything that we have, everything good that we have is from the Lord. Right? It's from Him. The challenge, of course, is that when we're in a trial, we don't really feel much of that, do we? We don't feel it. We're so absorbed with uh, the difficulty and the pain and the uncertainty of all of it. Right? And we, we really need to, to fight against the mindset that nothing good is coming because in some ways... There's nothing worse than, than the Christian who's like, you know, man, when is God going to bless me? 
Right? It's been forever since he's given me anything. Really? You want to be that guy? Right? Not, not the best plan. How about this? Uh, he's given you breath in your lungs. Right? That's a pretty good start. Right? That's God's blessing. That's his generosity. You're alive. Right? I mean, that's just a start. We could talk about forever. We go through lists and lists and tons of examples of God's blessing and his generosity to us. We've experienced billions of them before even getting here today. Right? God is generous. Listen, most of the time, what we really need is a perspective realignment. When we, when we get a perspective realignment, it leads to an attitude adjustment. It's not like we, we really lack anything. I mean, let's be honest. We've got it all. We really do. We've got life. We've got God's word. We've got church. We've got family. We've got hope for eternity. We've got tons of other stuff in between all of that. God's generosity is abundant. Mostly we just need to start seeing things the right way. Right? It's about our perspective. Now, of course it's true that you're going to go through times of trial where you just need something special and specific and, and God, I'm not going to let go of you until you give this to me. Right? For sure. We all have those moments. I had a moment like that this week. Right? But God, God answers those time, us in those times. Right? And he promises us that he's going to give us what we need when we need it. Now, I love this, verse 17. It says there that he's the father of lights, which was just an ancient Jewish title that they gave to the Lord that, that talked about the fact that he was a creator, sun, moon, and stars, and, and it referred to his generosity. And it says there, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's saying that there's, there's no variation, there's no, there's no change in his nature whatsoever. Right? He's not like this one day and then like that the other. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he doesn't, he doesn't shift like shadows do. You ever watch the sun hit, hit a tree in your front yard or something and it casts a shadow? Well, what happens to that shadow as the sun moves across the sky throughout the day? Shadow moves, right? It changes. We can, we can set our, our, our watch to the fact that so many things change in life. Okay, but God's not one of them. He does not. And neither does his generosity towards us. It's constant. He's always pouring that out. Now verse 18, it speaks to that as well. It says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That God brought us forth is, is referring to our salvation there. And when James says that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures, he's really talking specifically to the Jews reading this letter. He's like, man, you guys are, you guys are some of the first Christians. You guys are just the beginning of, of the whole plan that God has to save many. Right? He's encouraging them. And it also, it also hints at the fact that the believers are really the first chapter of God's new creation that he's planning to reveal at the end of time. Right? Pretty cool that we're part of that. And then we've been told what the end is going to look like. Right? It means that in eternity, we're going to get to enjoy God's perfect gifts forever. Right? It doesn't end. We're going to enjoy them perfectly because sin is going to be done with. Can't wait for that. Hey, Christ followers, we're continually blessed by God's generosity. Right? Continually. And if you're in a season of, of testing right now and and you're feeling everything that we've been talking about, and you're like, man, God has been so generous to me and, and so kind. You ever talk to somebody like that? If that's you, 
fight to stay there. Right? That, that's a sweet spot. Right? If that's not you and, and you're feeling burdened and, and weighed down and heavy, fight to get there. Right? Don't, don't give up. Okay, by faith, choose. Choose to believe what the Lord says. Choose to trust him. Right? That's what he's there for. That's what his job is. That's what he does. Right? Take him at his word. Stand firm. Hold on. Okay? So the trial that you're in will not be wasted. Let's pray. God, we need you. I mean, we, we, we read a passage like that, we see how good you are, Lord, and we see that we need you. Lord, I pray for those right now who are, who are just not feeling it, who are just struggling, who are, who are chafing against everything that we've talked about, everything that we've read, those people who are throwing out the, yeah, but. God, reach them where they're at. Help them to trust you. Help them to believe that you are good. Help them to see a light at the end of the tunnel, God. That doesn't just have to end in pain and darkness and misery, but Lord, that you are, you are entirely kind. You are, you are a God who loves them. Lord, I pray that they would take some real strides this week to apply some of what we've been looking at. Lord, I pray for those who are in a trial right now and they are doing everything they can to, to grab hold of what this passage says. God, continue to encourage them. Continue to strengthen them. Give them hope that you are doing something in this, that this isn't just random, that it's not going to be wasted. You have serious purpose for it. God, I pray that through all of it, our heart for you would grow, that we would love you, Lord, that we would desire to be near you, not just to get things from you, but the desire to be close to you, Lord, for intimacy with our Savior. God, do these things. Accomplish these things in us, Lord. We can't do them. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.